0: Love a congregation of the Lord, I think we must fear that we live in days in which religious minimalism is the order of the day within the Christian church. What do I mean by religious minimalism? Well, this is the view as I see it, that it is possible to do the bare minimum and have a hope of eternal life. Your view towards the things of God and eternity is that, yes, they're they're part of your life. They have a place within the context of the other things you do and that you think about but it would be a lie to say that it is the main thing, that it is the only thing, that it is the thing through which everything else flows. And so it is. There's a a great many for, for whom it is to be feared that their prayers are at best hurried and at worst non-existent. Their relationship to the Bible is that it is a closed book Their participation in the worship and the communion of the saints is half-hearted and really a drudgery. Their whole lives cannot be characterized by a true and sincere devotion unto the Lord. The heartbeat of their life is not that they live for the Lord Jesus Christ and his honor. And may it be the case that those who live so carelessly. According to a minimalistic approach to religion. Can these have any hope of life in the world to come? Well, if we would examine the preaching of the Lord Jesus himself. And his earthly ministry. We would find that there really is no Uh, Comfort to be found for such as these. In the fourth chapter of Matthew's Gospel, which is the book that we read from, you can see in the fourth chapter in verse 17 how it is that his message was summarized as he began to preach. It was summarized in this way, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus preached to sinners and said, They needed to repent. There must be a change of heart and a change of life. There must be a change away from the ways of sin, away from the ways of worldliness unto the God of holiness and grace. This was his message. When you come into this section of Matthew's gospel, where he summarizes this astonishing sermon on the mount in which he assembled his disciples and began to preach unto them. You find this again and again. That the life and the hearts of his disciples. They are different than those who are not his disciples. He speaks, does he not, in verse 6. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness. For they shall be filled. It is righteousness and the yearning, the desire, the hunger and thirst for righteousness which characterizes the true Christian. There is this change, there is this difference within them. Indeed, he speaks very straightforwardly, comparing his disciples with those who were known to be the strictest observers of the law. In those days, in verse 20 of Matthew 5. For I say unto you that except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees. ye shall in no case enter into the kingdom of heaven. You need to understand this. That where the Lord would get a hold of you. Where the life-giving Holy Spirit would indwell you, where you would have a true faith in the Lord Jesus that will be evidenced, it will be proven, and it will be manifested by this change in the heart and in the life. Unlike the Pharisees who were content with the externals, content with going through the motions, the true disciples of the Lord Jesus, he says, exceed their righteousness, for their righteousness is one that is of the heart. It is directed in sincerity towards the true and living God, desiring his honor and glory above all things. Jesus speaks very plainly about this, that without holiness no man shall see God. Without a true change in the heart and life, the profession Of you or I, to be a Christian is just so many words. You will know them by their fruit. A good tree will give forth good fruit. A bad tree will give forth bad fruit. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. You look at your life, you look at your actions, you look at your words. It all comes from your heart, from your inner person, from who you truly are. And the Lord Jesus would have us to know if there is no change, if there is no transformation, if there is no ultimate difference, then we cannot claim to be Christians nor to have any stake in the world to come. And if I would look anywhere in this um, Sermon on the Mount, for a place where this is pressed more firmly upon the hearts and consciences of his hearers, I can find no better example than what is found in verses 13 and 14 of chapter 7, the final concluding chapter of this Sermon on the Mount. Enter ye in at the straight gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the way, that leadeth to destruction, and many there be which go in thereat, because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. I'd like to speak to you this morning for a few moments with the Lord's blessing upon these two ways, two ways. The way to hell and the way to heaven. The way to hell and the way to heaven. The word way, you see, it speaks of a road or a path. Maybe you've uh, read that book by John Bunyan called Pilgrim's Progress. And every time in that book, a new character emerges and they're asked this question. Where do you come from and where are you going? Where do you come from and where are you going? It's a question for each one of us. It talks about our whole lives as a journey. We've come from somewhere. We've made certain choices. We've had a particular background. We've gone to this place and that place. And we've progressed. We've moved forward The clock is ticking. This is one moment of many in our lives. And and we go down and down this path, down the twists and turns, down the different changes in our life. But what is the path that we are on? The Lord Jesus speaks of a path here which is very appealing, a very appealing, a very attractive path for which there is much to be said about it. The first that can be said about it is that it is a very easy path to walk down. It's a broad way. It's a place it's not difficult to find. You can find it immediately. It's not rough terrain. It's not the sort of thing that uh, will tempt you to leave the path. No, it's a path that's very Easy. To walk down, it seems very pleasant and very appealing. The other thing that's to notice uh, about this path is that it is very popular. It's very popular. Many are walking down this path. It It is a path that you'll never be lacking for company upon. The great mass of humanity. The great majority of people who've ever breathed air upon this planet, they've walked this path. You'll be in company with the good and the great and the beautiful according to the standards of this world. If there's any truth in the saying that there is strength in numbers, well, the appearance would seem that this is the place to be. Walk down this path. Everyone is here. The other thing to understand about it is that it is very inclusive as this path. It's a path that welcomes anyone and everyone. It doesn't matter what you believe, you can worship any God you desire or no God at all. You can believe the Bible or reject it or take parts of it as it suits your fancy. You can live your life according to your very heart's desires. You can use others for your own purposes. You can achieve whatever power or pleasure or joy that you think this world has to offer. Here is the broad path. It's a path that is so attractive to the natural heart of the natural man or woman. And yet what Jesus Christ says that it is a terrible path. It's a path of doom and destruction. He says, for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction. And many there be which go in thereat. Destruction. This is the same word that's used in Philippians chapter 3 verse 19 where the apostle refers to the enemies of the cross of Christ. And he describes in them this, in this way, whose end is their destruction, whose God is their belly, whose glory is their shame, who mind earthly things. Philippians 3 and verse 19. Now, these ones whose end is destruction, they're not described as especially terrible by the standards of this world. They, they live for their bellies, for their appetites, for that which makes them happy. And they mind earthly things, the things of time and space, the things of money and pleasure, the things that this world finds respectable. But it says here that their glory is their shame. There is shame for those who walk down this path, whose end is destruction. Proverbs 16, verse 25. There is a way that seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. As Jesus speaks very uh, plainly later on in this uh, very chapter, he speaks about uh, every tree that bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. Verse nineteen of chapter Seven. The terrible truth congregation is that hell is as real as the chair or pew that you are sitting on. And it is not just the Hitlers, not just the serial killers, not just the rapists and the pe- rapists and the pedophiles that go to that place. The solemn teaching is that many, many will perish in the eternal fires of hell, in the agonies of that place where you endure the conscious torments of the wrath of God forever and ever. If you were to take a, a infinite desert filled with miles and miles of billions and billions of particles of sand, you would imagine a single bird that once every million years took a single piece of sand and brought it to the other end of the earth and put it upon a stone. And every million years he took another grain of sand. Until after that astronomical length of time. Every particle of sand in that desert were finally removed from one end of the world to another. Then for those who are in the pit of hell, their days are no less when they look ahead to the black future under the torment of God. The reality is that justly and righteously God punishes the sinners who break his law, those who forsake his commandments and those who live according to their own ways. We deserve each one of us this punishment for the wages of sin is death and i want you to drill this into your minds congregation there is no safety in numbers in the book of genesis in the days of that terrible flood right before the whole world was buried under water and and so many of those people died the billions of people who lived on that earth minus eight people says, Genesis 6, verse 12, And God looked upon the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted his way upon the earth. And you see as well in, in the book of Exodus, chapter 23, verse 2, Thou shalt not follow a multitude to do evil. Do you see yourself standing against the tides of history? Against the popular culture of our day, do you see yourself in a minority? Do you see that those who are outside the fold of the faith would judge you harshly and strictly because you are not going with the program? Let me tell you something. There is no sure safety in going with the crowd. The reality is that far to the contrary, The Lord Jesus says that we are to be warned. We are to be indeed terrified. If all men would speak well of us, if we would be conformed to the pattern of this world, did not he say in John 15, verses 18 to 20, if the world hate you, ye know that it hated me before it hated you. If ye were of the world, the world would love his own. Because ye are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. Therefore, the world hateth you. Truth is, congregation, we ought to have this in our view. It ought to be drilled into our minds. The terrible masses of humanity heading for that eternal doom in hell, treading the easy and the broad path. There to their eternal destruction. It ought to steal us to this. That we must look to the sure word of the Lord Jesus. If we would escape this doom for ourselves. Not the wisdom of the world. But the wisdom of God in Christ. With that I'd like to consider not only the way to hell. But now the way to heaven. Not the way to hell, but the way to heaven. Look what the Lord Jesus says here. Enter ye in at the straight gate. For wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction. And many there be which go in thereat, because straight is the gate. And narrow is the way which leadeth unto life. And few there be that find it. It's not the only path that is described here, the one that goes to hell, but also that which leads unto eternal life. The sure and true blessedness that is prepared for the children of God in the age to come, it is spoken of here. There is a path that leads to heaven. And the Lord Jesus is revealing it to us. What is it that we can learn? Well, it's really contrasted here. With the path that leads to hell. Indeed, where he says that these great multitudes are streaming down that path towards their eternal destruction. He notes that it is because of something. It is because, verse 14, straight is the gate and narrow is the way that leadeth unto life. There's something about... The way to heaven, which is unappealing and even repulsive, even hateful to the great number of people who are in their sins. They know something of it. They regard something of it if it is revealed unto them and their hearts and their natures, it rejects it out of hand. Whereas their path is an easy and a popular and an inclusive path. This is quite to the opposite. You notice that in order... To tread this path, you must go through a straight gate. It's a rare Greek word, but it simply means small, narrow. There's a small gate. I trust children that when you came into this this, uh, building... You didn't have any problem fitting through the people who made this church building. They made these doors that are tall enough even for the tallest person in the congregation to get through those doors and to come and worship the Lord here. But what if, if the gate was was smaller than that? What if it was a, a tiny gate? The only way you could fit through it was to squeeze through that door. Although well, the that's sort of the picture here. To even get to the, the way unto eternal life. You must go through this narrow door. It's far to the opposite with the path to hell. It's a broad gate. It's a, it's a gate that anyone can get through. But this this is a narrow gate. It's describing that grace of repentance. Which Jesus preached to them. Except ye... Repent, you shall all likewise perish. Repentance is that narrow way which the Holy Ghost appoints unto those who would receive eternal life. In order to truly experience the forgiveness for sins and the eternal life which is secured by the blood of Christ, God has appointed that these very ones would evidence that salvation through the transformation of their lives. Indeed, Jesus speaks very graphically about it in the same gospel. He says that if your eye offends you, if your eye would lead you to stumble into sin, pluck it out. If your hand would offend you, if your hand would lead you to sin, you cut it off. Is he talking about mutilating your body? No, he is saying that the true manifestation of the grace of God in your life, it will be that your sin is regarded as your enemy, that you will war against your sin. You will hate your sin. You will turn from your sin, no matter how ingrained or, uh, or permeating it is throughout your life and mind and heart. You will see that these things are hateful unto God, and you will... Do what is necessary to turn away from them. And this, this call to repentance to the world, they look at this and they say, we cannot have this. This is going to be much too constraining. No way could I fit through this small gate of actually turning away from sin and serving the true God. That's that's certainly not going to be the case. And to make matters worse, after you go through this narrow gate, then there's a narrow path, a, a small path where you can turn neither to the left or the right. It is constraining, constraining, as opposed to the broad gate, which allows you to wander this way. And that now there is a, a prescribed path that you must walk. What is this path? Well, it is the path of the law of God. Jesus Christ summarized that law, which we read every Lord's Day in a, in a most wonderful summary, he said, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all of thy heart, with all of thy soul, with all of thy strength and love thy neighbor as thyself. Go through this Sermon on the Mount, read it through. From chapter 5 all the way to chapter 7. And hear how he applies this law spiritually to every relationship. To every spiritual duty. and To every religious practice. Caring not just about the externals, but about the heart. This is a life that is of genuine righteousness. A genuine transformation through the work of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus says this is the path that you must walk, one that is bound up with the very glory of God, the sincere and unfeigned love for him, the hating and the turning away from sin, the serving of the Lord as slaves who have been bought by the blood of Christ. And so this is set forth. And, and what does the world say? The world says, this is intolerant. This is narrow. This is prejudice. This is constraining. This is backward. This is so unfashionable. This is so. How can you live in such a way? So the world beckons with its pleasures. The world beckons with its allurements. But don't make any mistake, congregation. It's not only those who have been given over with abandon to the ways of the world that have not found themselves on this straight path unto heaven. The reality is that Jesus spoke this to his disciples. He spoke it to those who were followers of him, who had submitted in some sense to his message of the kingdom who desired to be taught by him. But if it did not become real unto them, if they did not enter into that gate, it was of no benefit unto them. We have reason to believe that surely Judas would have heard these things. He would have heard about this straight gate and the straight way, but he never found him. Never found him. How terrible, terrible it is, congregation, to think that you can be that close unto the very Savior himself, that you can hear these precious words flow from his lips and still fall short, fall short of the world to come. Have you entered into that straight gate? Are you walking that narrow way? Oh, you say, I stumble this way and that. I'm not not sure if I'm walking this path. Well, congregation, you must search your hearts in these things. You must make your calling and election sure. I'd want you to know this, congregation, it's required of you. Required of you on the very authority of the Son of God that you enter into this straight gate that you walk that path of holiness. Does Jesus suggest? Does Jesus merely invite? No, look at the authority with which he says this. Enter in. Enter in at the straight gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction. And many there be which go in thereat. Because straight is the gate and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life. And few there be that find it. Are you just going to sit there and be content with you've never found this gate? You've never walked this path? Maybe you're at least not sure if you have. Well, let me tell you that if you would reflect on this, that Jesus Christ commands you, commands you to repent. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him turn unto the Lord, for he will show mercy, for he will abundantly pardon. Isaiah chapter 55. So also Jesus says unto you today, as the Savior of God's elect, he says to you today, enter in. Just as you are, just as you find yourself this morning. Don't put this off. Don't regard this as something that you can put off to another day and another hour. Even now, the Lord Jesus contends for your soul. He would have you as his own. He beckons you. He calls you into his kingdom of love. Do you think that there is misery on this road to heaven? That because it is constrained by the authority of God's law, that you will find it to cramp your style, that you will find it is something that removes the pleasures and the joys that you presently experience. Listen, listen to what the psalmist writes in Psalm 31, verse 19. Oh, how great is thy goodness, which thou hast laid up for them that fear thee, which thou hast wrought in them that trust in thee before the sons of men. Thou shalt hide them in the secret of thy presence from the pride of men. Thou shalt keep them secretly in the pavilion from the strife of tongues. You see, there is joys that only the child of God knows. Have God as your God and father and friend. To know joy in your heart, knowing that you are serving the very purpose for which you were created. To bring glory unto God as you pursue humility, holiness, discipline, as you pursue these things to the glory of God out of thankfulness for what Christ has done for you, you will not regret walking this path. If you would contemplate for a moment the doom and the dread of those who are walking the broad path to destruction, knowing that God is against you and that your end is one of misery, then surely, surely you would not trade places with them for all the, for all the worldly pleasures in the world. I want to leave you with this thought, congregation, and it was striking. This word for destruction Or it says that broad is the way that leadeth to destruction, and many there be which go in thereat. It's used another time in this very same gospel, and it's used on an occasion which is very memorable in Matthew twenty six. There were the disciples getting close to when Jesus would be betrayed, and as they were there in the house of Simon the Pharisee. Then came a woman who came and saw the Lord Jesus Christ. He took a very expensive, she took a very expensive box of perfume. And what she did was she went to the Lord Jesus and she anointed him with this expensive perfume. And weeping, weeping, she knelt down, took her hair and dried, dried his feet. Well, the disciples, when they responded to this, they spoke in in a very shocking way. They said in Matthew 26, verse 8, But when his disciples saw it, they had indignation, saying, To what purpose is this waste? And the Greek word is the same as destruction in our text. For the ointment might have been sold for much, And given to the poor. When Jesus understood it he said unto them. Why trouble ye this woman? For she hath wrought a good work upon me. For ye have the poor always with you. But me ye have not always. The reality is these disciples said that was a waste. A waste of good money. A waste of good perfume. To just pour it on the feet of the Lord Jesus. Out of love and devotion to him. They were wrong. They were wrong because nothing that is given to the Lord Jesus is a waste. What would have been a waste is that anything less than a gift to the Lord Jesus would have been uh, the purpose of that perfume. But I'll tell you this. If you will waste your life on anything other than the Lord Jesus Christ, if you will spend The rest of eternity apart from him. Because you would not live for him now. That is a waste. It's a waste of your soul. It's a waste of your abilities. A waste of your gifts. I look out at this congregation. There's not one person here where I look at you. And say that the Lord Jesus would not be delighted to receive you. That you would not bring glory unto his name. That you would not experience joy from knowing the Lord Jesus. Why will you waste yourself? Do not be an enemy of your own soul where the Lord Jesus comes to you today and says, enter in. No. He is the door to eternal life. He is the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by him. Go to him today. Receive him as your Savior. Enter the straight gate and walk that narrow way. That's the way.